Yoka share the lead in a weather-affected West of Scotland League Conference C. But they've hit out at being given a 3-0 defeat to Drum Chapel on the weekend after calling the side's game off because of coronavirus issues. They claim the game should be postponed after a player tested positive with COVID-19. Yoka were told they needed to show they had at least seven players either with the virus, awaiting a test or contacted by NHS Track and Trace. They couldn't, but chose to call a match off themselves anyway. That decision has now cost them the three points. We'll talk about the latest controversy to hit the new setup, then we'll listen to an unaired second part from a brilliant conversation we had with St Rock's manager Paul Kelly a few weeks ago. Paul tells us about his decision to go back to the Candy Rock for a second time and gives a fascinating insight into a club that's about more than just football. It's all here as we go down the divisions. Good to have you along for another 60 minutes or so looking at Scotland's lower leagues. Well, Paul, we'll come on to the Yoka situation shortly, but first uh, tell us about Newmain's latest game against Glasgow Perthshire. Uh, it sounded like there was more to it than just a 6-0 defeat, if, that's, uh, if that makes sense. It was a bizarre, bizarre game. A 6-0 for the, for the neutral, be looking at that going on, Newmain's could beat 6-0. But the story goes, we play the first, I don't know, 18 to 20 minutes, comfortable in the game, get the ball down, past. I'm not sure the Glasgow Perthshire committee or players would agree with that, but I thought we, we dominated the first 20 minutes. And then a bizarre sequence of events happened where they go up the park and score a goal. Uh, and then... It's quite hard to recall the game, actually, from the weekend. They got the part score a goal. We take a booking early. One of our... My centre-half takes a booking. One of my other players eh, saves the ball on the line, not the goalkeeper. Gets a yellow card. And probably should have been sent off at that point. We can see the penalty. Eh, in fact, I think we can see two goals, then the penalty. Then our centre-half, Darren Ligate, who's already been booked, eh, makes a foul. Guy's running through and going. He's, he's got people known as taking one for the team. Takes one, gets sent off. Go in at half-time. Really can't believe what's happened in the game. Uh, the boy who's already in a yellow card for saving the ball eh, goes up the park and makes a tackle in the 18-yard box that he probably doesn't need to make. If I'm going to defend him, he probably thinks he can win the ball. Uh, sent off. Uh, we're then playing, I think, somewhere in the region of 43, 44 minutes with nine men. And Do you know what? The boys, to their credit, battled and battled and battled at nine men. And it wasn't until probably the last couple of minutes of the game or the last 10 minutes of the game and they went on and scored the rest of the goals. But the boys were done in and they were just chasing shadows on times and trying to shut down space, trying to shut down passing lanes, eh, just working hard and battling. So whilst it is, yeah, 6-0 defeat, and we're not happy about, there is a story to it. And I guess ideally you'd want a, a game as soon as possible, but it looks like you won't be 
with a game this weekend because you you were playing. I think it was Larkhall Thistle originally. Yeah, we would love to have a game. Uh, of course we do. That's what, that's what we we do on a Saturday. And Saturdays off difficult as it is as it has been over the last wee while. Then we're back in, but the 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 reality is we've got an odd number of teams in the league. So uh, yeah, we would like to try and come back because. We've actually played a couple of games of late and we've actually, honestly, we've been really, really good. I feel our team's a lot better, albeit we've just been beat 6-0. I really genuinely believe that it's been the best team we've had in, in our time at New Mains. So, yeah, we're, we're desperate to get a game, unfortunately, not to be this weekend. Yeah, for, for those who are wondering why the game against Larkhall Thistle isn't going ahead, they, they have chosen, they're one of the teams who have chosen to... Uh, to pull out of the league after it uh, after it started, um, and uh, yeah, what about what about Joker? Uh, what, what have you made of the the decision made by the league there to award Drumchapel the the three points because Joker couldn't produce proof that they'd been affected um, by COVID sufficiently, you know, to, to to allow the game to be off. I actually I actually don't know the answer to that because obviously with what's happening in the world at the moment. There is going to be there is going to be games called off because of COVID. I don't know. You know, we don't punish teams. We don't kind of punish teams when the pitch is waterlogged and we don't get an inspection. So they could have probably just said, oh, the pitch is unplayable or whatever. I don't know whether it was on. It might have been an astroturf. I don't know. Uh, but yet they've come and said that, uh, and I'm presuming they've come and said that they've got seven cases. I don't even know how you would prove it. Is it, is it a medical certificate you would need no, I think they've actually they could only prove the one. They couldn't prove they couldn't prove that there were seven. So by the fact that they couldn't prove they had seven, they needed seven affected, whether right. it be directly or indirectly. And because they couldn't, then the league said they had to play. If they could have produced evidence that seven players had either been positive, were awaiting a test, or they'd been involved in a track and trace scenario, then they would have allowed been allowed to call the game off officially. And well, I, I'll put I don't know the answer, Gareth, because my mum and dad had a situation where they, their neighbour or the, the family next door had uh, caught COVID, and the guy had come in to meet my dad to borrow a drill or something off him, and Track and Trace phoned him and said, you know, you have to isolate him for 14 days. They wouldn't have had anything to say. We are isolating. I don't, I don't know. So how how do you prove it? I don't know if you can. I actually would have thought there would have been a bit of some kind of leniency uh, because of what's going on. Saying that, the league's obviously got their reason for doing it, and I'm sure uh, they'll be able to explain better why they've done it. We're just kind of second-guessing a bit, I suppose. Yeah, it's. Um, I guess it's unlikely to be the, 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 the last time a scenario such as that develops during the season. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that pans out. And just, just last of all, um, in this section, I guess we should also mention the deadline for teams being allowed to withdraw from the West of Scotland League unpunished. That's coming up on Saturday evening, November the 14th. I think my last count, I think we had 18 teams pull out as things stand. We're down from 63 to 49 uh, clubs playing at the moment. Can you see any more pulling out this week? It's, it's a big call to make now, isn't it? I've got to be honest, Gareth. If you don't know at this stage if you're pulling out or not, then I'd like. To, well, I'll answer your question. I'd like to think nobody else will pull out because I'd like to think that you would know at this stage whether you're whether 
you're fina- you can financially compete, whether uh, it's safe to compete. I seen a, a statement put out by Atlantic United regarding their managers. So their managers had left, uh, and it was in the local paper. One of the coaching staff had said that you know they felt it wasn't safe. Then I think Lanark put out a, a message saying that, you know, if they decided not to continue, then the job could possibly be open for the previous management team. If not, I think they were going to look, or I think they maybe appointed two players. I'd like to think now, cause, and I'm, only, I'm being a bit selfish here because Lanark's in our, in our league, I'd like to think now that Lanark or a team like Lanark would know at this stage whether they're going to compete or not, uh, because I would take for a phone call Friday night saying, OK, he's now back to even teams, you're now going to be going and playing on Saturday. So I'd like to think that everybody knows what they're doing by now. Well, we'll wait and see. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Obviously, there's three days um, in between times you'll be listening to this on, on Friday evening. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll maybe have found out more by then. Uh, in the meantime, please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you too. Send us any post-match audio interviews you have and we'll play them on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. My name's Tommy Sloan, Ockenlet Talbot Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. St. Rock's manager Paul Kelly joined us a few weeks ago and his interview was so good we thought we'd split it into two parts. But before we hear from him, we've got this week's Down the Divisions Decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club then give you the answer at the end of the show. I know you were quite excited this week, Paul, about uh, this section of the show. So um, here we go. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Right. We're looking for a club from League One down who play in red, white and black. They formed their junior team in 1990. They've reached six Scottish Junior Cup finals and won three of them. And they hail from a harbour town. Silence is golden. <laughs> cool. Can I get them? Did you say they were formed in 1990? They formed their junior team in 1990. Ah, right. Okay. Right, they formed a junior team in 1990, and they're from a harbour town. Okay, we'll we'll answer at the end of the show. (laughs) I'm David Gormley, manager of Rossville Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. So let's hear more from St Rock's manager, Paul Kelly. Paul, you went back to the Candies a year ago. Was that an easy decision? Eh... It was an easy decision in terms of my heart. It was a difficult decision at the time because I think I was still suffering after kind of getting a sack at Peter Sill, you know. I, I was still, I think I was still dealing with that when I, when I was first approached to take over at St Rocks and uh, and I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't take the job as instantaneously as people expected that I would mm-hmm. because I think I was still, I was still hurting a bit to be honest with you. But deep down, I always knew that, you know, the Candy's my team. You know, my fa- my family, my family were associated with a club. I mean, 
you know, the amount of times when, as Peter's Hill manager, people in the Garden Guard or at St. Rock, you know, games against St. Rocks, we say, hey, ah, your dad be turning in his grave, you know, <laughs> you know that sort of stuff. Uh, that, so, so there was always, it was always about, it was always, uh, when it came around, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult because my ego had taken such a dent, but, it wasn't difficult in terms of my heart knowing this is the club that uh, uh, I should be at, you know. And you know, Andy's a very close. Andy Cameron's a very close friend of mine. Stevie's a good friend of mine. Has been for a long number of years. So, uh, in some respects, it was you know it was fairly straightforward for then on in. Just before ask you a bit more about your ego taking a dent just tell us a bit more about that family association with with uh well, St. Rocks. Uh, well, St Rocks was probably the first stadium that I ever visited and I mean I said I use the term loosely because at that time it was a black ash pitch with a barrier in it and you know I, I, I'm not sure what, the, what the, the, the changing rooms consisted of at that time and then my dad my dad would uh, regularly go go to St Rocks games and uh, and I would go with them and then my dad was also involved in amateur football and St Rocks were always in taking players. My, my uncle, his brother, played for St Rocks when they were younger. They my dad's family came from Black Hill, so they were kind of steeped in St Rocks juniors and things like that. Uh, he had four brothers, so football was a big thing for them when they were younger. Uh, and it was a, it was straightforward kind of St Rock's Celtic thing, you know, in, in no particular order. To be fair, uh, I, I remember as a as a primary school kid, St Rock's pitch being changed from black ash to grass and playing in a cup final in it and things like that when I was a kid and you know the whole almost been overwhelmed by it and I still I can remember the cup final to this day. I can remember playing a game for Glasgow Schools there against uh, Dundee. I'll remember that day for the rest of my life, you know. And then as I got a bit older, I was 15, uh, I was first invited to to play there as a trialist. And uh, and again, that was my dad. The, the management team had good connections with my dad and that. Uh, so I was doing, when, when I first started playing as a trialist and they never signed me, I was kind of playing for the school team this Saturday morning and then going and play for Rock Juniors this Saturday afternoon. Uh, I mean, I wasn't always playing 90 minutes for St. Rocks. I was maybe coming off the bench and all that as a kid. But I played with good players there, guys like Jerry Collins, who went on to have a really good career. He was a captain of the team. Huey Farrell, who ended up a Scottish Cup winner at East Bride, guys like that. I played with some good players under a guy called Huey Cameron that was a brilliant player. The Rankin brothers, Stevie and Stan. So I was kind of getting an education in the game off of men when I was kind of like 16, training with them during the week and things like that. That was, that was a big thing for me. Uh, so, we've all, so and then my, one of my dad's brothers went away to live in America for a long time and he came back just about, I think about 10, 12 years ago. Well, no, maybe about 15 years ago now. But he was only back about a year and he got involved in the Rock Committee right away, you know. And <laughs> So we've always had this kind of, we've always had this connection around the club. People have always known the Rock and the Kellys have either played there or had some sort of involvement there, you know. So, so that that was the situation. And then, having been there as a very young player, I then went there as a very young manager. I was only 29 when I took over there the first time, and uh, we won the league in the first year. So, so that was a bit of a laugh. 
you know, at 29, you were still well connected with guys in the game. We're a very poor club. We we paid expenses, and I made them. I made the committee pay the expenses monthly, so the guys had enough to go for a few pints that one Saturday. A few weeks, you know. But it was just a crowd of good pals who, 25, 26 years later, are still good pals. You know, uh, interestingly, in my, I think we played the League Cup section, which was four games, and I think I played in two of them. And then my second league game of the season, I played. I was I was player manager, and we played up at Stonehouse, and I broke my leg. So I never played again that whole season, and we went on to we went on to win the league. Uh, so that was a good experience, and and uh, and it's it stood me in good stead in terms of going back and forward to St Rocks. You know, every time I've gone, I've went in, nobody's won a league since then. I don't think anybody's won anything since then. If I'm no, I think I'm right. Big Andy done a brilliant job in lifting the profile of the club and the community again over the last ten years, and moving them from a bottom division club up into a kind of you know, first division type club, and uh, it's my responsibility now, I think, to, to try and make them a Premier League club, you know. I'm delighted that Andy's still there because I think he does brilliant work in the background. Him and Stevie are the real rock that the, you know, the place is founded upon in terms of the current activities, you know. So Andy Cameron, Stevie Mullen do, do everything in the background that makes St Rocks what it is at the moment, you know. And the, play, the players are playing their part, to be fair, you know. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned your ego being dented after after the experience of Peters Hill. Tell us a bit more about that and and the kind of the well, yeah, the ego being dented part of it, especially like I mean, yeah, what what, what happened there and 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 how did you go about dealing with it? You know, how, and did even getting the Sin Rocks job also help you deal with it a little mm-hmm. way as well, possibly, or you know, restore yeah. a bit of belief in yourself that maybe you were kind of you with with the doubts were you looking inwards. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the fact is that in five years at, at Peters Hill, uh, Willie and I had to had to rebuild three different teams, and we had different levels of performance. In five years, we won a league and three cups, which I thought was a decent return in in, in the junior game. Uh, but in the last season. Uh, we just didn't seem to be able to get off the blocks for the pre-season. We were, we were again. We had to rebuild a whole team, and we brought. I think we brought some like 14 new players in, and we were trying to get them in jail. And we just, I think we kind of ran out of time. I think we ran out of time. Uh, I think there was a. I think the other thing, although I'd been there for five years, Willie had been there for about nine years. I think in total, I'd come in after three or four years of Willie being there. Uh, and I think that some people ran out of patience. We 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 us and sorry. When you say Willie, you mean Willie Patterson, yeah? Willie Patterson, sorry, yes. Willie Patterson was a manager, yes. Sorry, Gareth. So, uh, so I think some people kind of ran out of patience with us, and some people. Mm, I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe after maybe after nine years of Willie Parson and five years of Paul Kelly, they felt it was time for a change anyway, you know. So when I'm talking about my ego there, Gareth, I think what happened was for the first time in that whole period, I was reflecting on the fact that the guys didn't believe in us and didn't trust us, you know, didn't trust us to turn it around. So that was a kind of new experience, <laughs> and I was like, oh, right, okay, this is this is different, you know. Uh, 
my confidence was certainly affected. I never I never went and watched games or anything like that for a, for the first few weeks. I mean, within a week, uh, there was already, you know, whispers that uh, uh, Paul Kelly will go to some rocks. And, and I actually had to get in touch with Andy Cameron because Stevie Rankin was doing a job along with uh, Big Gary. And uh, Stevie and I have been friends for a long, long time. You know, and I had to make it clear to people that I'm in no way interested in, and I don't think they need a manager. You know, at that point, I didn't think they needed a manager, uh, and I just, I just kind of was getting on with my own, my own life, which did not involve visiting any football grounds on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> it was, uh, it was finding, finding other things to do wherever I could find other things to do. But uh, so that was it, and then when Stevie left. Uh, they, they approached me, Stephen Mullen approached me uh, to take over on a Saturday, but Kevin, my son and I, we were taking the amputee team, the Scottish amputee team in, uh, down in England that weekend, so we couldn't take the team. But Stevie, Stephen Mullen came to me and his plea was, look, we're playing Renfrew in the Scottish Cup. Literally, uh, he would have to go and name the team and take the team if nobody came in. So... Uh, so I says that I would help him with the training but I couldn't take the team at the weekend and we brought in a, a, a mutual friend we brought Chick Charlie in <laughs> along with a guy uh, along with somebody else to take the team on the Saturday Gary took the team with Chick on the Saturday and and what what we understood Chick, myself, Stephen understood is that I would come back in on the Monday and take the training that week and then kind of take the team the following Saturday but it still wasn't clear whether I was going to be the manager or not so the team in the Saturday drew 1-1 with Renfrew, uh, with Renfrew in the Scottish and uh, then uh, I took over the following week with Kevin and uh, we we beat Renfrew in the Scottish Cup and then we went down to Whitlitz in the league and uh, I don't know if you'll recall but the fans took beach balls and all that because it was doing it air and it's on YouTube it and it was all good it was all a good laugh right it was all a good laugh until the game started and then, you know, after 60 minutes, we're 2-0 down <laughs> and then it's not so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as as you know how football's got all these wee twists and turns in it and it did some good things and it did some horrible things. I made three substitutions that day and uh, we won 3-2. <laughs> <laughs> so, all of a sudden, uh, you know, it was a great messiah stuff, you know. And it'd be fair to the players... What happened for the players for that day is that, you know, over the two weeks, their confidence had built and they'd found a bit of their swagger again. And we started to put together a, a, a decent season. And things were going along fine. And then we had a couple of delays in terms of our, our Scottish Cup tie against Broughty. And then I thought, whilst I didn't think we deserved to win up at Broughty, I didn't think we deserved to get beat either. We got beat 2-1. And then, ironically... And interestingly, our last game was Lanark in the West, and they absolutely battered us 4 0 up at Lanark, where people, as I say, fans at St. Rocks and that were going up to Lanark expecting a, a day out and a good result. We get battered 4 0, and uh, Nicola locked us down on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Thank you, Nicola. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think we had a, we had a, a fairly upward trajectory which I think helped restore my ego, Gareth. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the lockdown came at a time when 
you know, we had two bad results back to back and it would be interesting to see what would have happened after that, you know. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the injury you had when you were player manager. Yeah. First time round and how that kind of didn't play uh, for the rest of that season. Yeah. As a player, how do you look back on your playing days now? I mean, it's very young to, to, to become a manager and didn't yeah. become a manager. In, I know you had the injury, but did that kind of hasten the end of your playing career or you had to kind of something you had to give a little bit? Yeah, I certainly, I, I, I mean, for the first time, I, I, it was the longest injury I'd ever had. I mean, I was in plaster for 16 weeks. So it was a it was a difficult time. But uh, I, I had put on weight and I, and I struggled to shed it when I came back. So I couldn't do the things that I used to be able to do on the pitch. So that became... Anybody that knew me as a player would, I think, if they were kind, would describe me as an emotional player. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was, I was, I was fond of letting people know what I thought of them, and also what I thought of myself sometimes as well. So going back and not being able to do the things that you used to be able to do, that was a bit of a blow for me at, at kind of 31. And interestingly, my old manager at Stenhouse Muir, uh, Archie Rose. Uh, Archie Rose had said to me when I started doing the coaching stuff at 26 he says you're too young to be doing that play as long as you can because once you stop playing you'll always want to get it back and you'll never be able to go back to it and uh, I never thought of much of that at the time in it. and when I took over at St Rocks everybody said you're really young at 29 I never thought I was young I, you know, I didn't think I just thought right, I'm taking over and I'm going to build a good team here I, I, had, I had a lot of faith in my ability when I was 29-30 to actually build a team. I thought and I understood the game quite well. And I had a great network. So I knew that I could get players to come and play for me. You know, players that maybe could have earned money at bigger clubs. But I thought, right, we'll go along for a ride with Paul. This should be a bit of a laugh. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but understanding at the same time, look, we'll, we'll, we want to achieve things here, you know. I mean, people go back to that. If you go back to that League Cup section that year, I think Mary Hill beat us something like I think they beat something like 12-2 or something. Uh, that was uh, Ro- uh, Ronnie McDonald's Mary Hill team. And I think Ashfield beat, I think Ashfield, I think they beat us 10-3 or something. So, you know, two, two of the four League Cup games at the start of that season, absolutely horrific. But I just, I knew that we, we had a good group of players and we just had to sort it out and we, need to bring, we had to bring a wee bit of pride back to the, to the club. You know, and I explained to the players that so, you, you, you know, if you went into the pub on a Saturday night and you said you played for the candy, it was a bit of a kind of topic of comedy. And I said, we need to, we need to get rid of that. We need to shed that. So that was, our, that was our main objective that year, was to get rid of that and, and build, try to rebuild the reputation in the club a wee bit, you know. So I think we managed to do that. Uh, I think my, my playing career, again, I stepped, uh, I stepped to a senior into junior far too young I should have I should have worked harder to stay in the senior game a bit longer I went to the junior game and and my first two seasons I didn't respect it enough I thought it was much I, I didn't respect it anywhere near as much as the senior game I don't think I was an arrogant I don't think I was ever an arrogant player but I think within myself I didn't, I didn't put quite as much into it when I went junior as I did as I had when I was playing senior, you know. So I've kind of got a regret around that. I should have, I should have worked harder at the senior game, and I should have. The other thing I would say, to be fair, was I never knew I wasn't streetwise in the senior game. You know, I wasn't streetwise about 
about players joking for position and all that sort of stuff with managers and all the background stuff that was going on. I never got myself involved in any of that. I just went in, done my job, went home. I mean, I remember the first time turning up at Clyde when I was 17. Uh, we had trained two nights during the week uh, and we had nothing on the Saturday. And then the following week, we had played two friendlies and uh, Stevie Evans was in the team and Pat Nevin was in the team and guys like that. And we went to a friendly on the Tuesday night at Shorts and everybody was kind of casually dressed. And then we went to a, we went and played Hamilton Ackies on the Wednesday night, the following night, pre-season. And everybody was just coming through work and casually dressed. And then we had a game on the Saturday. And I turned up, uh, I think we were playing Aberdeen. We were playing Aberdeen, the pre-season friendly. And I turned up casually dressed and got absolutely slaughtered. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> slaughtered. I mean, the manager was shouting and bawling at me and all that. Uh, and we had a club called manager then? called John. Sorry, what was that? Who was the manager then? Craig Brown. That's a good. I was sorry, man. Yeah. shouting, but what are you doing? Turning up like that? I was in the dressing room. The boys were just pointing and laughing. You know what I mean? Look at that wee guy sitting in the corner there. You know it was. Uh, it was absolutely horrific. But as I say, nobody ever communicated any of that. I just kind of learned that stuff as you went. You know. I didn't quite understand that that sort of thing was, was important. And in those days, players didn't turn up in tracksuits and that. You had to turn up in a collar and tie. You know, if you if you call, if you go back to the days in the early days, three o'clock kickoffs, half one, quarter to two, all the players stand in the middle of the park with their suits and ties on, talking to each other, you know? So, so I things like that happened, and, and I never quite understood how we get involved in the... And the machinery of the, of the senior game, and and in my own opinion, I kind of left it far too early because I didn't I didn't adapt to that stuff quickly enough, you know. And but I had some was, good memories there. What, what was the secret of that '95 title win? Do you think? I mean, was it the fresh voice? Was it you know the the enthusiasm from yourself? Did you have just have good players? It was combination. It was it was, it was two things. It was uh, it was it was raw energy. Raw energy, mainly from me. <laughs> raw energy and a, 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 a really, really strong dressing room bond. A real, real tight dressing room bond. You know, I, could, I probably inherited inherited about 17 players. I kept about six of them, brought on others. But the six that I kept would have died for you. You know, they would have died for you. And the guys that I brought in, I know I'm saying laughingly earlier on, it was a bit of a laugh. It wasn't really. I brought in good players and and I made it clear to them in my first managerial job that I had an ambition to do something, you know. And, I mean, at that time, we were we were stony broke. We, did, we never did any money. Rob Roy were in the league for the first time in years. And actually, Mike Oliver was a manager, so they had new investment. Joker had some investment at that time as well. They were the teams that, basically, when... People were doing their pre-season predictions. It was Rob Roy and Yoker and anybody else but St. Rocks. We weren't even we weren't even worthy of consideration, you know. So it was nice to go in and do that and 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 win the league that year. Uh, we I think one defeat. I think we only got one defeat in that season, if I'm no mistaken, which might have been Bells Hill. Can't remember. <laughs> but somebody somebody beat us. Somebody beat us in one league game. So so that was that was a good experience. Uh, but then in year two, lots of things happened. Lots of things. I was still trying to recover for the injury. I was trying to play, but I was never fit enough. Uh, I was changing careers. There was lots of things going on that meant 
the year two was a bit of a washout, to be perfectly honest with you. And then I kind of disappeared for the game for a few years, went away and done other stuff just to, to not. I was going to say to get my head straight. That's hard to. It was not like that. I just went away to do something else. <laughs> you know, I just went away to try something else, and and uh, I done all right at that, and and then I came back into the game with with kids. I came back into the game with taking taking young boys at 16, 17, 18 who uh, lacked direction, we'll say, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 turned them into a kind of amateur football team, and 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 that was a brilliant experience, and got all my enthusiasm back for it. You know what I mean? So when I done that, when I done that, I used to we played in a Saturday morning amateur. PD will remember some of this. I we do, played, I do. I, I you put the team. I, uh, we played in a Saturday morning amateur league and we used Bills to be up Bills Den. That was my guy, aye, that's okay, right. We, okay. moved up, we moved up to that. We moved up to that. But when we started, we hired a minibus on a Saturday morning because none of the players were old enough to drive. <laughs> <laughs> so we would turn up for away games against Saturday morning amateur teams and literally all of these kids would spill out the minibus and the guys in the other team would be going, that's all about we're not playing these wins and all that but we we finished second in the league and you know we get picked by a point for a league and it was brilliant to watch them because they had phenomenal energy and we had good players in the team guys like David Gold the captain of Queen's Park just now Eddie Ferns guys like that that's, you know Eddie's picked up what three uh, division championship medals in the last four years or something like that you know uh, so so they were good they were all kids they did lack direction, <laughs> and and my outcome my outcome was to was to give them some focus with three nights training during the week and a game on Saturday morning, and actually covertly help them to find work <laughs> and, and and kind of sort their life out a wee bit, you know. Uh, but I mean, Monday night training was always hilarious because you know you turn up on Monday night and. Uh, Oh, Gaffer, Dawes got a hole in his head. What happened? Oh, a lassie had him out of the head with a stiletto outside McDonald's in Union Street. You know what? <laughs> and you're thinking, God, why are we standing outside McDonald's at four o'clock in the morning? <laughs> so, so that, that was good. You got my appetite back. Yeah, I'd like to ask you what you did in those months away from, or years away from football, because you said you were quite good at it. How, how, how did you kind of, how did you feed that? desire to be competitive or how did you fill those Saturdays or what, what, what was your what was how did you channel all your energy that way well what, what I did was I, I started a sports coaching company that was working in communities and I kind of expanded it over that over that period of seven about seven years that was Gareth and 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 it took all of my energy literally all of my energy it was you know I worked uh, I worked Monday to Sunday uh, we, we were we were doing a lot of stuff at the weekends Working Saturday nights to ten o'clock, working with kids and Airdrie and you know uh, Cumbernauld and, and and places all over North Lancashire and Glasgow, working with asylum seekers and and young offenders and it was a really really it was really interesting and really motivational working working with a lot of those groups you know and 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 I felt that the work made a difference. So that's what that's where I got my kind of buzz because I felt that the work made a difference to people's lives. And uh, and that's what that's what I kinda of fed off it. So the adrenaline rush wasn't so big in terms of getting to football. 
Kevin, my son, was getting a wee bit older and he was playing football, so I was maybe living a wee bit vicariously through him. <laughs> <laughs> Although, by the way, I'm a better player than him. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Chris Strain and I'm the Cohen and Rangers manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. It's been a busy week of transfer activity. East Kilbride Thistle have signed Dean Quinn from Livingston on a season-long loan. Darvel have brought in striker Thomas McGaughy, who has played for Mary Hill and Arthurley. Craig McCracken and Jamie Glasgow have extended their contracts with Ockenleck. But with Talbot not playing this season, both players will go out on loan to BSC Glasgow until the end of January. Kaluk Rovers have signed Dominic Chiedu for a second time after a spell with Larkhall Thistle. And Pollock have confirmed Chris Dallas has joined St. Caddox for an undisclosed fee. Finally, Mabel have signed Chrissy Campbell on a season-long loan from Cumnock. And Craig Mark Burntonians have landed two players on season-long loans too. Ryan Caddish joins from Cumnock and Kieran McCrum has arrived from Kilburnie. Hi, Stephen Aitken, East Kilburnie manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. T- t- tell us more about the, the Candies as well, because, I mean, the club is, is is a huge part of that community and always has been, hasn't it? You know, and and I know you mentioned about Rock Talk earlier, earlier yeah. on, but... Yeah. Also mentioned the centenary celebrations. I mean, they were put on hold kind of because of the the pandemic, weren't they? But you yep. know, fans bought into the, the buying the pin badges, having the name on the shirt, and and things like that. You know, just you know, it, it grew up around industry and and tell tell us more about all that kind of side of the club because it's more than just football, isn't it? Oh, it's it's definitely more than just football now. I mean, I would say I would say to try and compare it to something. Uh, something Lanarkshire PD is probably like a Bells Hill thing where St Rocks have always you've always been there yep. but you have your kind of ebbs and flows sometimes the team's up and get a good profile in the community other times there's two men and a dog turning up to watch on a Saturday you know and what happened they were probably in one of those lulls probably down kind of rock bottomish where uh, an away game consisted of kind of the two guys that took a cat and one guy sitting in the back along with him, you know, that was your, your fan base going away from home. And uh, then they took Andy in as a manager. And Andy Andy has been a brilliant community development practitioner for, for 30 years. So he lives in the community, he always has. And, and it's a funny thing, the, the length of Royston Road, Royston Road takes in three specific communities. I mean, they talk about the Garden Garden, things like that, but you've got... It takes in Blackhill, Germiston and Royston. And sometimes the relationship between these communities isn't particularly good. Even though you could go to a rock game on a Saturday and there would be people for the different communities there, you know, they didn't mix particularly well. I think Andy managed to managed to bridge that gap. He came in first and foremost as a football manager with ambitions around football. But he then introduced very quickly things like... Uh, Christmas events for pers- pensioners, getting them up to the club and putting a comedian on and giving them something to eat and things like that, uh, putting homework clubs on for kids, and he, and he turned the place into a bit of a hub for the community. Stevie came along not long after, and Stevie's got a real commitment to to things like the mental health issues and things like that and the challenges, and, and he's kind of picked up that baton, if you like, uh, 
and, and kept that going. And you've got to remember, the whole time Andy's fluctuating between being the football manager and the community development manager, for want of a better expression, and sometimes the very people that he's trying to attract back to the club are turning up on a Saturday and if there's a bad result, they're shouting, hey, Cameron, you're a big dumpling. And, <laughs> you know? And he's got, to, he's got to kind of match that way. He's got to pair that way. I'm trying to help these guys during the week deal with other issues in their life, maybe with their families or their kids or whatever it happened to be. Uh, so that was a very difficult... I'm sure that was a very difficult balancing act for, for Andy uh, over the over the piece. Uh and as I say, Stevie in the background just continued to build the uh, the kind of foundation, keep you know strengthen the foundations of the club, build up things like rock talk. You know there are other things that the, the club's been involved in collections at Christmas time and at different periods for for local community groups. And Stevie's been out engaging with lots of groups around that sort of stuff. And you know there are lots of quiet things that St Rocks have done in terms of supporting. Uh, primary school activities and all of that sort of stuff as well. So it's been, uh, it, is, it is very much more than just just the football, Gareth. There's, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, and when Andy decided to step down as manager, uh, he also kind of took a step back for the club. And and over the course of, let's say, I, I think probably a six or eight week period, when when Stevie and that was in, Stevie Rankin and that was in charge and then Stevie moved on, uh, Andy and I would would talk fairly regularly, at least once or twice a week. Uh, but he was drifting further and further away from the club. But he was kind of adamant that I should become the manager of the club when when the place the, the position became available. So it was but it was very important for me to keep Andy in as part of that deal because as I say. He is the guy at the forefront of the community, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, uh, you know, I was going to say back up with Stevie. He's no bad. I mean, it's a very, it's a partnership. It's a very strong partnership. You know, it works really, really well. The bits that Stevie takes care of are done well. The bits that Andy takes care of are done chaotically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to come in there because people don't know. I've got a relationship with Paul from from past. We've worked yeah. together and we've we crossed. Their paths have crossed for, I don't know, certainly a good decade or, or I, so. I know. It's quite frightening. But he's taught you use Bells Hill as an example. And I think it's fair to use Bells Hill because I think, Paul, you were kind of some involvement there at some time. Yeah. But it's dead important. And I, I hear old committee guys saying, oh, you know, there's no youngsters coming through. It's just us and two men and this dog and all that kind of stuff. A real successful model to build in the football club is having an Andy Cameron, has having a Paul Kelly, who do look at this much, much further than just a Saturday activity. Now, I know people don't have a lot of time to do that, and some people's priorities, but you see, Gareth, what we're doing at New Mains, all of that comes from the work that we done 10 years ago. Future Jobs Fund in Glasgow. In fact, I actually golfed with a guy on, uh, last Sunday who was actually asking after you, Paul, John Cadigan, who, All right. you know, working, you know, we've done some initiatives with the, the, the police, Strathclyde Police. These are all things that will build clubs. So see anybody looking at, you know, trying to get 50 quid for a billboard or this, or it's, it has to go more. You have to connect with the community. 
and and we've been steeped in this for for a long time, Paul. And and I've learned certainly a lot from Paul Kelly. And you introduced me to Andy Cameron right. many years ago as well. So e- even for guys listening to this just now, if you want your club to progress, try and have a look at somebody that has got that kind of community initiative, that kind of engagement, trying to do something different. But not in it for money or trying to monetize it. It has to be for the right reasons. Somebody who can just go in there and take the club to the, ne- the, ne- the next level because it'll be these clubs I genuinely believe hand on heart will survive yeah you see I, I agree with every word you said Paul there because I think for me sometimes there's a kind of sense of entitlement for clubs yeah. because they're at the, they're in the community that they should get things yeah. and you say no you've got to work for these things you've got to work for these things you, they don't just happen you've got to put something in to get something back and, and the one I hear, Paul, the one I hear all the time is, right, let, let's set up as a charity because we'll get grants. That's right. <laughs> right. Let's set up, we'll get grants. Do you know what, guys? Aye. They're no there. Aye. They're, they're no there. Do something good. Create Aye. something. Aye. Build something. Then the rest will come. That's right. That, that's difficult, Paul. That, that's difficult if you're not... That, we think that way and, and kind of thing. And I'm not saying that we've got the perfect model at New Mains. By far, we don't. But you see the little things we've done, the little things, the little initiatives that we've put in, getting into the schools, doing designing the badge. It costs nothing. You don't yes. get grants for it. But you know what? All of a sudden now, we've reached out to a school. Will some of the kids come to New Mains? Maybe one or two. You know, maybe the competition winner will come that day and get their photograph taken. But it's just giving that little bit back and not having that, that, oh, we should be getting this and we should be getting that. Because especially in the hard times coming now, the money, you know. Absolutely. Funding and the whole funding industry is going to be pushed to its limit. And just go out there and start doing, I'm not saying be, do good, but just go out there and build something and the rest will follow. You actually don't need to have a lot of money to kick, kick a project off. And Andy Cameron is probably... Probably one of the best, if not the best, at doing that. Would I be fair to say that? Oh, I think, I think, I think certainly in our game, I think, he's, I think he's, he, he must be the best. He must be one of the top two or three, if there's, if there's any others out there. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of his ability to do it, I, I, I think when you look at where they've where they've taken the club from, and and it's interesting your point, PD. They've never saw the need to turn the club into a charity. Yeah. You know, Andy and Stevie have never saw the need to yeah. turn the club into a charity. But they've still yeah. managed to do the things that they've done and 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 sustain them, you know. Yeah, and run and, and run genuinely good initiatives. And some uh, people have even said to me, Paul, I bet you're the manager of the team. You're doing this and you're doing that and you're doing this only because I've maybe got a wee bit of experience at doing something like that. So yeah. that's going to make my job on the park on a Saturday easier. Do you know what I mean? Even small things like doing up the club, making it more inviting, making it more welcome to come in. You know, got a great team of volunteers round about us. Great, mm-hmm. you know, committee, and that's just putting the little blocks in place to try and take something somewhere. Do you know what I mean? And I think, absolutely. you know, I, I'm sure Andy's got an open door there. I think clubs should maybe speak to. Oh, absolutely. Speak I mean, to Andy, speak to the guys at Saint Rock yeah. to say, look, how have you done it? We're at the very beginning of our journey, trying to do something, and you know, even yesterday, Gareth was there, and made meetings and some really exciting stuff, really exciting plans that he wanted to do. 
but you need to actually go out and just do the small things. You know, right. even if that is just going to the local community centre, talking to the local kids group or something about, you know, trying to get them involved in football mm-hmm. or something. Just do the wee things that should go out there and do it. Yeah. I th- I, as you see, the biggest investment is time and energy. It's time yeah. and energy. It's no money. It's, yeah. You know, you're no needing to invest money. You're no needing to secure money. You're needing to put a bit of time and energy into and showing people in the community that you care and that you want to make a difference and then people react and respond to that. Absolutely. I agree 100%, PD. And then tell us a bit, I mean, there's, there's colour at, at uh, St Rocks, isn't there? I mean, I saw them being... So the so the club being called the St Pauli of the Juniors, you know the murals, the yeah, the sort of the, really, the, I think there's only two colours at that club. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that, there, Gareth. <laughs> but there's, I mean, everybody everybody talks about yeah. St Pauli and what they stand for and these kind of things, and there's an identity, if you like, about the club. Yeah, you know, the, the club's certainly got an identity, isn't it? I mean, you, and and even dating back to, I mean, you're talking about colours, but you know, Jim McGrory to Celtic Absolutely. and. The, the historical mm-hmm. kind of players going to Celtic or playing for Celtic, yeah. having yeah. played for St Rocks or, or the other way around. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you. I think there. I think I, I don't. I don't know what came first. There's always been. A, there's always been a connection between Garden Guard and Celtic, Garden Guard and St Rocks, and Rocks and Celtic. So I don't know what order they came in. I don't know if that whole thing might have started with Jimmy McGrory. I don't, what I, is Garden Guard, Paul, for the people who's listening? Garden Guard for me is kind of. Uh, Royston up to Germiston but I'll get absolutely slaughtered for that one <laughs> probably probably get stabbed <laughs> somebody's going to I, I know that I'm just going to start getting social media comments about no knowing my geography you know what I mean but I would say and it's also about uh, it's about the Royston Road it's about the Royston Road the Gallum Gallum uh, so aye so in terms of the club in the time that Andy's been involved, yes, there has been, you know, this stuff about supporting refugees and asylum seekers and, and all of that sort of stuff. Having a kind of quasi-political movement within the club, I think that's there. But I think it all points towards uh, a, an inherent fight against poverty and exclusion. I think, you know, everybody that's involved... Some people might channel theirs through a fairer deal for for refugees. Others might channel it through uh, more support for people that are living with challenging mental health. But all of it's about addressing inequality and poverty. You know, everybody that's involved in St Rocks has, has either been touched by poverty directly or knows what, what it means to live in poverty. Uh, and uh, and they don't forget that stuff. They don't forget it, and they're always they're always keen to give because they may well have been there in the past, or have members of family that have been there, or indeed they might think it could happen to you. At the, you know, it could happen to you to turn their key. Yeah. You you look at this situation with a pandemic. People will now be experiencing poverty that have never experienced in their life. You know, economic poverty. There's people losing their jobs in a heartbeat. And and that's going to be very very difficult. So I think that I think that that's the the key th- the key thing about the club is that uh, the people involved. If you try and pare it right down, it's about addressing poverty and exclusion. Without a doubt, it's about. Uh, and and when I, I say in the, addressing them, and that sounds like a very soft, soft word, 
because people don't do things softly in the in, in the Gad Black Hill Jervis area, you know. <laughs> they aggressively go after it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's no it's not addressing it, it's challenging it and and and, and beating it down. <laughs> you know, beating down poverty. That's that's the way they want they want to do things, you know. Hi, it's Murdo McKinnon, Port Manager here, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Paul? Uh, who was your idol as a boy? My idol as a boy, as a footballer, was... Uh, yes. Yeah, I suppose I'm old enough to remember the end of kind of Jimmy Johnson's career at Celtic, right? And, and I saw... As a six, seven-year-old, I saw some. I saw him do some remarkable things. I was actually, I was actually at the Atletico Madrid game the night that he received the worst punishment a footballer's ever received, ever. Yeah. Uh, I was actually at that game as a kid. My dad just he left me all the turnstile in those days. Uh, but my, my, but my first, what I would consider to be my first real idol was probably Davy Hay. I loved, I loved Davy Hay's. I thought he was a magnificent footballer first and foremost, and I was remember I'm I'm still single figures. I'm probably nine, eight, nine. You know, I was amazed that a guy could play at right back and left back. You know, or on both sides of the field. I loved his aggression and I loved his passion. I thought he was one of the most passionate footballers I ever saw. You know, he was he was super fit. He was technically really good. Uh, obviously, I didn't make those assessments when I was eight or nine. <laughs> but you know, but the passion caught me. The passion always caught me. He was always playing the game on the edge, David. He always playing on the edge, you know. And uh, and I, he was probably my he was probably my first proper idol, if, if truth be told. I really, really him. Uh, and uh, you know, in a broader sense, as I grew up and grew into football. The player that I admired the most was was uh, Marco van Basten, uh, 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 you know, the Dutch player, because obviously he's, he's in the same time as his two uh, national compatriots, but he's also at the same time as Maradona. And whilst Maradona, Maradona was just wildly exciting, wasn't he? Just, you know, just done things that nobody else done. The thing for me with van Basten was he was... He was just one of the coolest characters around, you know what I mean? For me, he was like the kind of Samuel L. Jackson. Then if it, <laughs> <laughs> just too smooth to move. <laughs> I loved him, and he, I thought he was technically magnificent. Technically he probably scored one of the best goals ever, didn't he? Oh, uh, of course, of course he did. And probably the sort of goals that are the the sort of goals that probably rival it probably came from Bergkamp, you know, another Dutchman. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's both exceptional goals in a high-profile tournaments, but that goal was probably one of the best ever, definitely. Actually, mm-hmm. actually, being in that position and the ball being 55 feet in the air for five minutes, who would ever think about volleying it back across the goalie? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. What, what about your uh, your toughest opponent you faced? That could be player or manager. I, I I suppose I suppose in a in a consistent level a consistent level I felt that Crawford Bartik Falkirk played against Crawford for four or five times big athletic machine went up and down the park bumped you all over the place 
you know, just you know, any tackles with your eyes shut. <laughs> just you know, it was always he was super for me. He was super fit, and it was really, really. He was always it was always really, really difficult to play against. Uh, at junior level, Thomas Brown, Tom Brown, who only played St Mirren and things like that. I remember playing against him at Dorai and playing against him at Glenafton. Shifted you all over the pitch. Was five foot four. Was exceptional in the air. Exceptional in the air. Great player. Good goal scorer. Govan boy. So Gallus, you know, really Gallus and and about you and things like that. So, so they are players that I remember playing against. You know, at, at, at that sort of level. In terms of kind of one-off memories, I played against the uh, Aberdeen. When they, they won the Cup Winners' Cup at the end of the season, we played them in the Skull Cup about three games into the next season, <laughs> you know. So they're kind of up there flying high, and I played directly against uh, Peter Weir, which, uh, again, was an experience because I'm thinking to myself, this guy's a brilliant left winger, I'll show him inside, and then I find out he's as good with his right foot as he has with his left, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and actually, at that time, I was still young, I think I was only 20, and the manager had actually said to me, go on and man-mark him. I was like, oh, thanks very much for <laughs> So that was a great experience. And then the Dundee United team at that, year, that period as well, we played them in the cup, played against David Dodds. Again, probably five feeders, four elbows in the nose. You know, I mean? I, I, I'm actually convinced at one at one ball that was played down the park for their goalie. I'm convinced he apologised to me before he jumped across the front of me, <laughs> just dunted me in the nose. You know, like, yeah, uh, that that was a that was a crazy experience because he just he he just ragged all you all over the place, David Dodge. You know, well we did me that night. You know, that was mm-hmm. mental. And I came off and people said I had a good game that night, and I think it was just about. Uh, he gives you a right bloody nose there, son, but you never get that. <laughs> <laughs> sympathy vote for that one. <laughs> what about the, uh, what's the favourite football top you've worn and why? Uh, does this need to be a recognisable top or? Yeah, I mean, generally relating to your playing days, you know, if there's a particular strip from a particular season that, you know, maybe stands out maybe for the style or maybe even just for the memories that it kind of, yeah. you know. Well, maybe, maybe one you just bought for your holidays. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday 1992 I think I never actually, I've never actually a top for my holidays the strip that I always go back to that I love the most was a uh, was an AC Milan strip with a white collar, a white V collar. So it was the red and black stripes with a white V collar. Uh, I thought that was a sensational strip, and I and I wore that when I played for Mogai as a as a 17 year old or something like that. And I thought that was a that was my favourite strip to to pull on. I loved wearing that strip for them. Uh, but I think we had a sky blue away strip at Alloa. That going back to your point, Gareth. I think we always had, we always had good memories in that strip. We got some good results in that strip, you know, uh, and obvi- and and that team we won promotion with that team as well. So, uh, so always remember that. I mean, obviously, they, as you know, Aloha are called the Wasps. They always wore uh, yellow and black, uh, but I just thought we had a particularly nice sky blue away strip that year. And any time we had to wear it, we got some good results, you know. So I like that strip. 
you see Milan and Alloway, you don't hear them in the mm. same no, sentence. No, no, you don't. You don't. No, I'm, sure I'm sure there'll be a headline in the sun tomorrow. See me when the indoor drill. There's not much difference, is there, really? Uh, who's the best player you've played with? Probably Pat Nevin. I think I played, you know, played with Pat at Clyde, and he could do things. He could do things. That, uh, you know, we're only we, at that time we're only kids. I'm 17. He's 18. He's broke into the first team, and he was doing things that he was doing things that guys couldn't do. You know, it was. I, I mean, it was no surprise later in that year that he obviously moved to Chelsea. But uh, and I mean, you think about that now. He's moved from Clyde to Chelsea. <laughs> you know, so one day, one day you're turning up in a Monday night for training at Shawfield, getting changed at Shawfield, running across the road to the public park. The next, the next day you're getting a phone call at four o'clock to go and sign for Chelsea. You know, and what happens with him? He doesn't go down there and spend a lot of time. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, acclimatising to it. He's into the team fairly quickly, and then establishes himself as a top player in England for for a number of years. A sensational player, Pat. Absolutely sensational footballer. In terms of his trickery and all that sort of stuff, it was it was brilliant, brilliant. Loved him. And last of all, what's the best practical joke you've seen played? Oh well, I don't. This is this sounds a bit. This is sounds a bit dull in terms of some of the things that I've heard have happened and, and some of the things I've witnessed, right? But after I had managed at St Rocks and. And 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 been out of the game for a wee while because uh, I was still considered I was only 31 at the time I was still considered as a player but I was too heavy and you know the sort of clubs that wanted me to play for them I wasn't really up for playing for them but then Ashfield came and asked me to help them out in a kind of emergency and I started playing for Ashfield and during the season Stevie Rankin uh, and John oh goodness. The monk, I can't remember John's second name. They they were the managers, right? So halfway through the season they took they took the Glencairn joke. And the obvious thing was they said to the committee, Well, he's been a manager before me, I'm the manager. And I never really had any intentions of being a manager at that time. So and the Friday night they kinda said, Right, well you take a team and I says, Right, I'll take I'll take the team to the end of the season, so I'll be the manager. And Willie Patterson, bless him, was the uh was the captain at the time. So we turned up on a Saturday. Obviously, I've got a kind of bit of energy around me and things like that. I'm a bit, we're playing Vela Clyde, doing it Vela Clyde. And uh, the, 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 the committee have said to me, we'll put all the players in the dressing room. And I said, no, put them in the committee room. I want them to, you know, I want to kind of get a wee buzz before we head over to Vela Clyde. No, no. So put all the players in the committee room. So every player sitting in the committee room. And I'm outside talked to two of the committee and my phone went and answered the phone and it's a guy for evening times asking me about the, the, the game and and I've done this kind of 20 minute interview and I say and I've hung up the phone, finished with the committee and I've walked into the committee room and I said that was a guy for the times and they, they absolutely just folded because it was actually wee Wally just asking me <laughs> on his question on loudspeaker telling me how do you think your team will, what sort of squad do you think you're going on all these players in the squad and, and they're all just sitting there and not one of them not one of them cracked until I said to them oh by the way I've just had a phone call for you and then they just stumbling you know so I, I think that's the biggest that anybody's actually got me in front of everybody. You know, everybody in the team. You know how you get the wee cheeky ones where somebody kind of 
did something to you. And, but that was the that was the biggest one where in front of the whole team you've just been you've just been kind of just been done. You know, did you win? Been, and that's right. Did you win that day? We won four one. We won four one at Vela Clyde. There's another story there, but <laughs> <laughs> that's one for another day, is it, Paul? That's maybe one for another day, Gareth. That's a different story, but uh, I that'll come out someday as well. <laughs> I'm Matty Flynn, striker at County Hearts, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. This week, I'm looking for a club from League One down who play in red, white and black. They formed a junior team in 1990. They've reached six Scottish Junior Cup finals and won three of them. And they hail from a harbour town. Paul? Just going through all the harbour towns, Troon, but they, they, they play white and now being the Scottish Cup final. Has to be an Ayrshire team. Auchinleck, Glen Aftons. And they're not from Ayrshire. They're not from Ayrshire. It'll be somebody like Dundee. Tayport. You've only gone and got it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> honestly travelling up the coast. Traveling up the coast. <laughs> I, I thought they were older. No, they are older, but the junior team was only formed in 1990. So what were they before then? They were amateur team. Is that right? There you go. Yeah. That's a, that's a lucky guess, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, well, well done, you got it. I'll give you the credit where it's due. Um, well, thanks again for joining us this week. We'll have a, a guest back next week uh, as normal. Don't forget, you can get in touch with comments or suggestions for people to speak to, or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com, or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. Mm-hmm.